0: This is CNN Breaking News.
1: Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. The war in the Middle East at this hour appears to be expanding as it steps up its Gaza offensive. Israel has now formed an emergency wartime government in response to the Hamas terror attacks that have killed at least 1,200 people, 22 or more of them Americans. The Israeli government is publicly accusing the Iranian regime of, quote, giving the green light to hamas which it funds to carry out the barbaric attacks over the weekend a statement that differs from sources familiar with u.s intelligence if you thought the seriousness of this all the deadliest day for the jewish people since the holocaust a war that will cost countless innocent israeli and palestinian lives risks of a regional conflict if you thought this all would motivate house republicans to get their act together to elect a speaker so the U.S. legislative branch can function. Well, you would be wrong. Behind closed doors today, the majority of House Republicans chose Congressman Steve Scalise of Louisiana to be their nominee, to be the next Speaker of the House, but 99 House Republicans did not choose him, and instead of coming together behind the majority choice of the majority party, the minority is once again rebelling. in the full House vote on the next Speaker, which could have been happening right this minute is not happening and it's scheduled for, well, who knows when, really. Let's start on Capitol Hill with CNN's Melanie Zanona. Melanie, when will this vote for speaker take place? At least, when is it scheduled to take place? And does Scalise have enough Republican support to win the speakership or will he by that time?
2: Well, Jake, at this moment, there is no floor vote scheduled for today in the House. In fact, it seems very unlikely that is going to happen. And that is because of your second question, which is Steve Scalise does not currently have enough votes to secure the speakership on the House floor. Remember, he only won the party nomination by a very slim margin. The vote was 113 to 99, and he needs 217 on the House floor. So Scalise has some work to do here, and he did recognize that to reporters after he won the party nomination. Let's take a listen.
3: First, I want to thank my House Republican colleagues for just designating me as the speaker. Obviously, we still have work to do. We're going to have to go upstairs on the House floor and resolve this and then get the
4: House opened again.
2: Now, one thing that might help Scleese here is that Jim Jordan, his rival in the speaker's race, has offered to give the nominating speech for Steve Scleese on the House floor, and he's also encouraging his supporters to get behind Steve Scleese. But Jake, according to our tally, there are at least eight members who say they're going to vote for someone else other than Scleese on the floor and an additional eight members who say they are either undecided or non-committal. So there is a math problem here. Steve Scleese is going to have to rally the support of the Congress, but at this point, he does not have the votes, all while critical issues like aid for Israel and government funding hang in the balance.
1: And what are we hearing from Florida Republican Congressman Matt Gaetz, who who started this fight uh, by filing the motion to remove former Speaker Kevin McCarthy?
2: Yeah, so interestingly, Matt Gaetz is not one of those members who is vowing to withhold support for Steve Scalise. In fact, he is cheering on the idea of a Steve Scalise speakership. Let's take a listen.
0: I'm excited for him. Can't wait to go vote for Steve Scalise. Steve Scalise. Select. Long live Long live Speaker Scalise
2: So, Matt Gaetz, as you heard there, seems content to have just taken down Kevin McCarthy. He is not seeming like he's going to try to make any demands or have any concessions that he needs, but that's not the case for other members. Some of them, including Ken Buck, one of the members who did vote to take down Kevin McCarthy, said he wants to see several commitments from Steve Steve Sklees, including what he's going to do on Ukraine Aid, what he's going to do on government funding, and whether the 2020 election was stolen. That was a question that he asked both candidates behind closed doors, and neither of them would answer. So, again, the big picture here is that the house republican conference once again struggling to coalesce around a single candidate unable to elect a speaker and the house is paralyzed until they do jake
1: all right melanie Zanona in capitol hill thanks so much turning now to our big breaking news story right now the us government is in talks to establish a humanitarian corridor, a way for the innocent u.s citizens and palestinians who are in gaza to leave as israeli forces carry out hundreds of airstrikes they're pummeling the region Israel is also mobilizing forces along its border with Gaza, a number estimated to be around 300,000 troops. Remember, Israel has conscription. CNN teams have seen tanks and other heavy military equipment rolling toward the border with Gaza. In just a few minutes, President Biden is expected to speak at an event with Jewish community leaders. The White House released this photo of Biden's call this morning with Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, after which Biden reaffirmed his support for Israel.
5: This moment, we have to be crystal clear there is no justification for terrorism, no excuse. And the type of terrorism that was exhibited here was just beyond the pale. As I said yesterday, my commitment to Israel's security and the safety of the Jewish people is unshakable. The United States has Israel's back. CNN's
1: Clarissa Award is in Ashdod, Israel, north of the Gaza border. And Clarissa, you walked through some of the devastation in Be'eri, Israel. What did you see?
6: Jake, it was uh, a scene, frankly, that, uh, you know, I mean, it's hard to get your head around, honestly, the scale of the destruction. It took the Israeli military days of pitched battles to completely clear and gain control of what was once uh, a sort of very tranquil oasis, a community of people who had lived together for a long time, roughly a thousand or so. So far, already, they have found the bodies of more than 120 people from that community. There are many others, though, Jake, who are missing. It's unclear. Were they taken hostage? Are they in Gaza? Are they alive? Are they somewhere else, possibly? And uh, it was the first time that journalists have been allowed in, and uh, there was a huge group of us were brought in at the very end of the day. It's difficult in these situations always, Jake. You realize you're just starting to get a sense of of the scale of the atrocities. And it's difficult as well, of course, to put together a really coherent picture of exactly what happened. What is clear is that there was an enormous amount of bloodshed. You can see blood all over the place. You can see the extent of the the firepower that was required to try to take it back. You can see where fires were started um, by the militants as they basically went through door to door, executing people, abducting them. We spoke to one uh, resident who has lived there for 30 years, his eight-year-old daughter, the first thought he had was his daughter, who had gone to her friend's house for a sleepover, and she never came back. He was lucky to be rescued, but his eight-year-old daughter is among those more than 120 dead. And so you're really talking about the kind of, the kind of loss and the kind of destruction and the kind of hatred um, that honestly is, is, is difficult to process, is difficult to understand. There will obviously be a lot of questions to be asked about how this happened and what exactly happened and putting together a timeline and, and, and trying to really thoroughly understand the whole anatomy uh, of this massacre. But uh, make no mistake about it, Jake, it, it was a massacre and, and and a horrific one.
1: Larissa, you um, you visited war zones around the world um, and and bloodshed and war is always horrible, wherever it is, how does this scene of this particular massacre, these attacks on civilians, not accidental killing of civilians, uh, not collateral damage, but targeted slaughter of children and grandparents and women, how does this compare to other scenes that you have experienced?
6: I think it's always very difficult to compare. But I will say that there is something so shocking and horrifying about the intimacy of these killings. Right. It's not that one is morally better or worse, but these killings were done eye to eye. These fighters could see who they were killing. They could see that they were civilians. This wasn't a drone strike. Again, I'm not saying that a drone strike is is morally superior in any way, shape, or form. I'm just saying that the psychological impact of seeing that up-close killing or the aftermath of it, it is very shocking. and, And it is not unusual, sadly. We have seen it in Ukraine. We saw it in Bucha, for example. But it is something that even after doing this job for nearly 20 years, Jake, you never, ever get used to.
1: And obviously the terrorists of Hamas are, are the ones responsible and, and, they, and they alone shoulder the blame. But I have seen a video uh, from Israel of citizens either speaking to camera on Israeli TV or confronting members of the Israeli cabinet yelling at them, uh, holding them responsible for the inadequate uh, military readiness, the delayed response. Um, There's a palpable sense of anger that I can feel thousands of miles away. I'm wondering what you're feeling there in Israel.
6: There there absolutely is, Jake. And we actually put this to the general, the major general who was showing these journalists around. How did it take so long? How did this get to this stage? How did this happen? And he acknowledged that there needs to be a very in-depth investigation into the series of catastrophic failures that ultimately resulted Uh, in the horrors that we are discovering more and more now every day. He also said that he feels, and I think a lot of Israelis probably share this opinion too, that right now the most pressing issue, he said, is how do I get these hostages outside of Gaza? Right now the most pressing issue is how do we go from being on the defense to being on the offense, and so I think that is the mindset certainly uh, of the Israeli military. Not wanting to necessarily shirk the responsibility, but saying that today is not yet the day for that discussion, Jake.
1: Clar- Clarissa Ward, uh, thank you so much, appreciate it as always. We're learning some of the names and some of the stories of the at least 22 Americans who were killed by Hamas in this terrorist attack We're standing by to hear from President Biden this hour. He is convening a roundtable at the White House with Jewish community leaders. We'll have much more ahead. We're going to squeeze in this quick break. Stay with us. You are seeing images of some of the Americans that we know were murdered in that brutal Hamas terrorist attack uh, in Israel over the weekend. Today, we learned that that list is growing. At least 22 U.S. citizens were killed by Hamas according to a State Department official. An estimated 17 Americans remain missing, whereabouts unknown. CNN's Erica Hill details now what we are learning about those Americans who were killed.
5: Deborah was a, a child of light and life. She went the equivalent to the Berkeley School of Music in Boston. She went to the Ramon School in Tel Aviv, where she met Shlomi, her husband, she is a singer, a child of life in the kibbutz in which she chose to live.
7: Israeli-American Deborah Matias and her husband died, protecting their 16-year-old son, Rotem.
5: We were on the phone with Deborah as she was killed. We were on the phone the entire day with our son, our grandson, Rotem, as he lay first under her body and then found a place to escape under a blanket in in a laundry.
7: Chaim Katzman, a musician, DJ, and community volunteer, is being remembered as a brilliant academic by his sibling. The Association for Israeli Studies, also noting the emerging scholar who earned his PhD at the University of Washington, was deeply committed to community service and engagement. He was killed while hiding in a closet with his neighbor. He absorbed all the bullets um, into his body. And when I went out, I saw him. He was a wonderful person. He was a talented person. He was a funny person. He was was someone who wanted to live. His name is Chaim. Chaim in Hebrew is life. That's the meaning of his name. And he gave life to this planet because he saved me. And I was able to save two kids. IDF Sergeant Roey Weiser's mother says her son always had a smile on his face. When his base was overrun by Hamas terrorists, she tells CNN Roey diverted their attention. The 21-year-old, quote, died as he lived, by putting others first. Because of his bravery, at least 12 other soldiers are alive today. New Jersey-born Etai Glisco, also in the IDF, was covering a friend's shift when the attack came. His aunt said he was always offering to help and wanted to serve in the Army, like his father. The family is devastated. Itai Glisco was just 20 years old. Danielle Ben Senior was working at the Nova Music Festival. Born in California, she worked as a medic and had also served in the IDF. Danielle last spoke with her father Friday night.
8: My
5: heart, it's on the floor. She's everything for me. Without her, there is no value for life.
7: On Wednesday, Jacob's worst fears were confirmed when he was told his 34-year-old daughter had been murdered
9: every day we get new information i do expect that unfortunately that the
1: list of americans who are confirmed dead will rise today
7: erica hill cnn new york
1: and our thanks to erica hill for that report our next guest attended the nova music festival on saturday where hamas killed at least 260 people 25-year-old lee sassi hid for several hours after the attack began She was able to survive by hiding under dead bodies. And Lee Sassi joins us now. Lee, I can't imagine what you went through. I can't imagine any of it. Uh, But it is important that the world bear witness to what you went through. Can you describe what, what, what happened?
10: I will try to describe, even to describe what I've been through is not even equivalent to the Walking Dead movie series. I, we went to the party, our cousin was a DJ that was performing there as a DJ. And so we decided to go as a family and to go support. And we went to the party and arrived there on 2 a.m., 3 a.m., and we, were, we danced until sunrise. And right when 6.30 a.m. hit, hell broke loose. Um, we had to run for our lives. We saw rockets shooting in the air. So we ran to the car and uh, we went to the nearest bomb shelter that was down the street outside of the festival. As we got into the fest, oh, I'm sorry. As we got into the uh, bomb shelter, there was about 35 and 40 people who entered. When we got rescued seven hours later, only nine to 10 survived. Everyone that came into that bomb shelter, I saw get murdered in front of my eyes. My eyes were murdered. My soul was shattered. Just to even talk about it, I, I can't even cry because it's like my tears are frozen from what I saw. I had to witness firsthand my uncle getting shot, not shot, excuse me, getting blown and exploded by a grenade that threw onto his stomach. I had to witness a girl getting a grenade hit on her back, and her back blew out, and I saw her sitting there crying, her face blowing up, and she's she's suffering for two hours. I saw so many things that I can't even explain. I saw guts. I had flesh all over my body. We had to bury ourselves under these dead corpse to protect ourselves from these, from these grenades that were hitting and from the rifles and the RPG. You could hear the terrorists laughing from excitement, laughing from happiness that were dying. These people that were with us. We, I just found out today that there was two girls that were pregnant in my bomb shelter. Two girls that were pregnant. One survived. I'm so grateful. But what happened was like the Holocaust 2.0. I can't even describe to you. I never thought in my life that something like this would ever happen to me. (sighs) After sitting there hiding under bodies for seven hours. We just prayed. All I had to do was pray. I was in shock. I couldn't even cry. I was in survival mode. That's when I knew that it's either now or never. You know, I'm not, I I thought my life was gonna end. I thought I was gonna die. So that's why I started taking videos. I started filming myself. I started making videos to my mom to so that way if i die she can see what's going on on my icloud i sent my icloud information to everybody yeah
9: let's i, 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 let wanted me, I to, want
10: to apologize I wanted wanted
1: to let me Lee, let me let me interrupt you just for one second um, and I, I want to give a graphic warning to, to any of our viewers who who don't want to see the videos but let's let's show these these videos um, uh, please,
10: do please show so, this so this People is a video from this is on. a
1: v- video from outside the bomb shelter Tell us what we're seeing here.
10: Um, I don't see anything on my screen. Okay,
1: so this is a video from outside. This is the from aus- video that
10: I sent yeah, yeah, a, yeah the, video from 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 from- the outside of the yeah. bomb shelter. Yeah. That was right when we were rescued. That ha- that video was shot at 2.03 p.m. Exactly, 2.03 p.m. That girl over there, she was sitting with me. Here's the video I here's her not to go outside.
1: Here's the video from inside the bomb shelter. Tell us what this is.
10: We were dying. Half the people on the right side of the the girl beating the right over there were the gunshots. All of those people died. Everyone that was on the opposite direction died. That girl with the curly hair, I don't know how she survived. She was right there where where the grenades exploded. I was right there in front of her. We cried to death. From our hearts, not crying like actual crying, but we really, we thought we were going to die.
1: Lee, how old are you? You're 25? 25.
10: 25 years old. What do you, and I'm a U.S. citizen. What do you... I'm from Los Angeles, California.
1: What do you, what do you do?
10: You know, I, I was, I'm not working right now. Yeah. Right now I decided you know, I can't work.
1: Yeah, I think you can take some right time. Right
10: now, off. I'm not doing anything. I, I can't. I can't focus right now. I used to work with my uncle running a company, but I can't do that. can't do that right now.
1: <sighs> um, so about 30 people went into that bomb shelter, and they, they fired guns into it, and they threw grenades into the bomb shelter, and maybe they eight, were or, eight or nine. firing
10: rifles and RPGs.
1: Maybe eight or nine people came out. Is that what, is that what you estimate? Right. and um
10: i can't even describe what i went through i still can't believe that i'm alive but i'm so grateful all i did was pray to god and i sent my location to everybody that i knew in israel to all my family and all i had to do was hope that someone was going to come and get us i really thought that I was going to die. I don't know how I'm here today. I really, I went to my cousin's funeral today and he died in a separate bomb shelter and seeing him being put to the bottom of the ground.
1: What was his name?
10: It's like, I need to be there. Like, I don't know how I'm here on the ground looking at just the smell, the smell that I smelled on him. It just gave me Backflash of what I was smelling, and I didn't understand what the smell was until I went and I actually saw his corpse not his corpse because they wrapped his body with a tallit.
11: Yeah,
10: it's different in the Jewish religion, so I could smell his body because he was shot to death. In fact, there's a video of him being shot to death.
1: <sighs> what was his name?
10: Him running outside of the shelter, and he's getting shot to death by seven terrorists.
1: Lee, what was his name?
10: The door levy. How old was he? I don't know. I think he was 28, 29. He was young. His girlfriend was with him in the bomb shelter. She was four months pregnant. That's my cousin. Nitsan.
1: I'm so sorry this happened I, to you. I, but I'm so glad that you survived I'm, and that you could tell the story.
10: Thank you so much for letting me be here and to speak. I'm still in shock and yeah. I can't believe what I'm saying. Yeah. But
1: I can't believe what you're saying. I really too. hope
10: people hear my story and I hope people see the videos and see what what we've been through. Yeah. The people that survived with us can't even speak. They're I... like they're not eating, they're not sleeping. I'm trying to contact everybody. Yeah. I don't know how I'm here on camera in front of thousands, millions of people watching me. I don't know how I'm here spreading my story, but I have to. I'm an American citizen. This is horrible. This could happen to anybody. This could happen to anybody in all over the world that wanted to come to this festival. It was a rave. There was the DJs that came to this rave were from all over the world. Look at the plate, look at the lineup. They were DJs from Nepal, DJ from Brazil, Mexico. We had so many loss, so many losses that day. It's, and babies were killed.
1: It's madness.
10: This festival was located down the road where they went and mass murdered families and babies.
1: I know. Late. And
10: kids and raped people in front of their friends, raped women and, and kidnapped them to to Gaza. I know. Free pa- Yeah, I'm not going to say
1: anything, sorry. Lee, thank you for joining us and thank you for bearing witness. And uh, I don't know what else to say. Thank you for joining us today. We really appreciate it.
10: Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you too.
1: And we'll, uh, we'll
12: be right back. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.
1: Welcome back. Uh, President Biden is about to speak now at a roundtable with Jewish community leaders uh, at the White House. This obviously comes after the horrific uh, Hamas attack on, over the weekend in Israel, uh, the deadliest day for the Jewish people since the Holocaust. Um, he's being introduced by the second so gentleman, know, first the husband of uh, uh, the Vice president, president Kamala Harris. Here's It's Doug to Emhoff. Let's listen. Um,
13: and to make sure that hate has no safe harbor in America and the world. As an American Jew, I am so grateful that in this moment of tumult and pain, we have Joe Biden as president and Kamala Harris as vice president. It is now my honor To introduce a true advocate for the Jewish community, please join me in welcoming President Joe Biden.
5: Folks, uh, I came first of all to say thank you. Thank you to all of you in this room. You've not only cared, but you've — you've been breaking your neck the last couple years to deal with this overall issue of anti-Semitism. And I know many of you are personally impacted by what's happened in Israel. There are thousands of dual citizens, maybe some of your relatives that are there. And, Doug, I want to thank you for all the work you've done on behalf of our administration to combat anti-Semitism. <clears throat> and uh, I apologize. I've been on the phone around the clock with our friends around the world, quite frankly, discussing what's going on in Israel. And uh, and uh, I want you to know that uh, I want to thank you as well for uh, all of you as well for working uh, the work you're doing to bring comfort and uh, in this moment of grief for those of you who are grieving as well. And, uh, and you'll read this weekend in synagogue, the Torah teaches us that God made stars to, quote, give light on the earth and separate light from darkness. Give light on the earth and separate light from darkness. You know, uh, it's been hard to find that light during the darkness of these past few days. Uh, when terrorist groups like Hamas uh, brought, not only terror, but sheer evil, sheer evil to the world, evil that echoes the worst and matches, in some cases, exceeds the worst atrocities of ISIS. More than 1,000 civilians slaughtered in Israel. By the way, I've been speaking with a number of Israeli leaders, a number of leaders around the world, leaders in the region as well. and. Uh, You know, uh, among those who have been victimized, this evil who went, who've been killed, are at least 22 American citizens. This attack uh, was uh, a campaign of pure cruelty. Not, Not just hate, but pure cruelty against the Jewish people. And I would argue it's the deadliest day for Jews since the Holocaust the deadliest day since the Holocaust. One of the worst chapters in human history that remind us all that that expression I learned from my dad early on, silence is complicity. I'm not, I mean, silence is complicity, it really is. And I want you to know, I think you've already figured it out, I refuse to be silent, and I know you refuse to be silent as well. <laughs> senior staff, you all represent a voice that America has to hear. America can't be silent. You know, uh, we not only reject terrorism, but uh, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond rejecting terrorism. You know, I spoke with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu for I don't know how many times, but again this morning. And uh, already we're... uh, we're surging additional military assistance to the Israeli Defense Force, including ammunition, interceptors to replenish the Iron Dome. And we've moved the U.S. carrier fleet to the Eastern Mediterranean. And we're sending more fighter jets there in that region. And made it clear, made it clear to the Iranians be careful. We want to make it real clear. We're working on every aspect of the hostage crisis in Israel, including deploying experts to advise and assist with recovery efforts. Now, the press is gonna to shout to me, and many of you are, that, you know, what are you doing to bring these, get these folks home? If I told you I wouldn't be able to get them home. Folks, there's a lot we're doing, a lot we're doing. I have not given up hope of bringing these folks home. But the idea that I'm gonna stand here before you and tell you what I'm doing is bizarre, so I hope you understand how bizarre I think it would be to try to answer that question. In the days ahead, we're going to continue to work closely with our partners in Israel and around the world to ensure Israel has what it needs to defend its citizens and cities and to respond to these attacks. As I said yesterday, my commitment to Israel's security and the safety of the Jewish people is unshakable. The United States has Israel's back, and I have yours as well, both at home and abroad. You know, you can see the pain in some of your faces as I walked into this room. You okay? All right, we're going to
1: break away from uh, President Biden fear? speaking with Jewish community uh, leader groups. He was reaffirming his commitment uh, to the Jewish community and saying uh, that the United States and Israel uh, had an unshakable bond. Coming up, new CNN reporting, raising questions uh, about whether Iran played a role in the attacks by Hamas. A senior Israeli official says... Iran was not only aware of the operation, but effectively gave the green light for the attacks. But U.S. intelligence contradicts that. U.S. intelligence suggests Saturday's attack caught senior Iranian government officials uh, by surprise. Uh, CNN's Matthew Chance is in Tel Aviv, Israel. Oren Lieberman is at the Pentagon. Uh, let's start with you, uh, Matthew, first to you. This is a This is a change today from Israeli intelligence
11: suggesting the extent to which Iran was possibly involved. Yeah, well, well, this is a a briefing I got from a senior Israeli official who is familiar with the latest Israeli intelligence. Um, And to be clear, you know, there's a lot of overlap between what the Israelis say, uh, the involvement Iran was or is, and what the United States say as well. Obviously, Iran is well known to be uh, a funder for a long time, uh, a trainer of Hamas militants and a political supporter of Hamas as well. There's there's complete agreement on that. Uh, Where there's a slight bit of difference, a bit of light between the the two uh, countries' assessments, I think, is that uh, this Israeli official is saying that, look, uh, Iran may have not known about the timing, the exact timing of this Hamas operation that led to so many Israeli deaths. It may not have anticipated the consequences would be so great. But it was aware, as far as he is concerned, this Israeli official is concerned, um, uh, that the operation was, was being planned and that was going to go ahead at some point. Now, that's different, is my understanding, from what the US is saying, which is that this, this whole operation surprised Iranian officials, according to uh, US intelligence. And it doesn't go so far as to say, well, look, I- I- Iran orchestrated this whole thing from top to bottom. But it, it's somewhere uh, in the middle. Oren, what is uh, leading
1: U.S. intelligence to suggest uh, Iran did not know, in fact, was surprised
0: uh, when the terrorist attack was launched? So multiple U.S. officials familiar with the intelligence and a briefing given to Congress say the intel suggests, and suggests is an important word here at this point, we'll come back to that in a second, but suggests that senior Iranian government officials were surprised by the attack. And that surprise is leading the U.S. to lean towards the conclusion, an early conclusion, but the conclusion that Iran was not directly involved with the planning or the preparations for this attack. Now those officials caution that yes, of course, Iran has backed Hamas for years, and provided them with the finance, the training, much of the equipment, the military technology that would be necessary in such an attack. But again, the intel does not paint a direct line from Iran to this attack, and that's what the U.S. is looking at right now. But it is worth noting, of course, that this is early intel, and the U.S. and Israel are, are of course, going back through all of the intel they have in trying to figure out how they missed this and if there were signs leading up to this, as well as looking at current intel to see if there's any lines of communication. So there still is a lot to go through. But based on the early intelligence that U.S. officials are looking at, there is no direct evidence linking Iran to this attack in terms of knowing about it or having prepped it or, or giving a, a an immediate green light there. So that is what's leading uh, U.S. officials to lean towards the conclusion that it was... a a Hamas attack in its planning, in its execution, in the decision on the timing. But I'll go back to what President Joe Biden just said to to underscore the link still that exists between Iran and Hamas, whether or not it was direct to this attack or not. But when Biden spoke, he specifically said, Iran, quote, be careful. So the link remains there. And that's one of the things the U.S. is watching very closely to see if the fighting that is currently limited to Gaza spreads beyond the region to Iranian other Iranian proxies, Jake.
1: Yeah, and we should always distinguish Uh, between the Iranian regime and the Iranian people. The Iranian regime is funding Hamas. The Iranian people is a whole other other thing. Matthew Chance and Oren Lieberman, thank you so much. Right after a classified briefing on Capitol Hill today, U.S. lawmakers had very different takes on Iran's uh, possible involvement in Hamas's barbaric attack on uh, Israeli citizens. Take a listen to a Republican member of Congress, then a Democratic member of Congress, just minutes apart.
14: It's clear as day that Iran made this possible, helped them, but yet the administration's in denial. I mean, I, I heard that in there. They're, they're not sure of Iran's role. B.S. Anybody with a brain knows Iran's behind this. There is, I think, no uh, indications as of right now that Iranian leadership were uh, directly puppeteering this attack.
1: Two military veterans uh, speaking there. Joining us now for a rare joint interview, the top Republican, the chairman, and the top Democrat, uh, the ranking member on the House Intelligence Committee, Republican Chairman Mike Turner from Ohio and Democratic Ranking Member Jim Himes of Connecticut. Uh, Good to have both of you. Uh, Thank you so much. We always appreciate the bipartisan interview. Uh, Chairman Turner, uh, I have to take care of some business first because obviously uh, it is actually an issue of national security right now as to whether or not Congress has a functioning body. uh, And I want to check in with you on this speaker vote. Uh, Are you happy with the prospect of a Speaker Scalise?
14: Well, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. We came out of our conference with 110 votes for Steve Scalise that he can take to the House floor. He needs 217. At this point, he's working to try to to communicate how he can bring the conference together. There are a lot of members who are are undecided. I'm one of them. There are those that are absolutely opposed. And he's going to have to make the case as to how he can pull the conference together after what has been really a traumatic time and chaos on Capitol Hill. Why are you undecided, if I may ask? Well, he came out with 110 votes. He needs 217. He's going to have to, obviously, he's going to have to give us a message or an understanding of how he's going to bridge that gap and make certain that he brings Congress together and not divide the Republican conference more. Uh, that's going to be an important message. I know he's working on it right now. I certainly wish him well. Uh, but uh, you know, there's work to be done to get to 217.
1: All right, back to Israel. Tell our viewers why this, there is this disconnect, you think, uh, on how Republicans and Democrats are understanding uh, the same pieces of intelligence.
14: Well, I don't, I don't think the gap is very broad here. I mean, because we all know and understand, even in public outside of the intelligence, that Hamas is a franchise of Iran. Uh, they supply them the rockets, the munitions, the training. Your, your reporter was listing all of the things that Iran supplies them. So the fact that the Hamas would, would undertake a terrorist action when they're being trained to be a terrorist organization and funded by Iran is not really a surprise to anyone. So there's no exculpatory evidence here of, that could it, it, indicate that Iran is, is not involved when we know for all this time that they're really responsible for Hamas as a terrorist organization.
1: So Congressman Himes, uh, obviously there's a, there's a disconnect between Israeli intelligence and U.S. intelligence. U.S. sources are telling CNN uh, that senior Iranian officials, in, in their understanding, were caught off guard uh, by the attack, even though obviously Iran funds Hamas, uh, as Chairman Turner just said. Um, w- w- what's, your, what's your take on the intelligence? Uh, do you think Iran knew uh, that this, the Iranian regime knew that this attack was going to happen uh, if not on that day, at least imminently.
3: Yeah, Jake, I'm, I'll, I'll tell you what I think, which is that we are making way, way too much over the statements of a bunch of members of Congress who don't know, who don't have access to the kind of intelligence that the chairman and I do. Uh, for what? They are still pulling bodies out from under bushes. They are still tracking down murderous terrorists. Um, we will have an opportunity to see precisely what Iran knew when. Uh, you know, the chairman makes exactly the right point, which is, you know, un- unless you need to know, by or Iranian official who exactly signed off or did what or when they did it, we know that for decades uh, Iran has provided weaponry, uh, financial support, and all sorts of other support to Hamas. So of course their hands are not clean here. But this is a sort of fog of war situation. Uh, we're getting conflicting reports as well uh again i would suggest that the focus right now needs to be on uh supporting the israelis on making sure that we can keep the hostages safe and making sure that uh, we do force protection meaning that our uh, men and women in uniform are protected abroad
1: uh and chairman turner uh is the u.s doing everything it can to help rescue the americans who are likely being held hostage in gaza
14: I think that the the, um, the administration and Congress are, are unified in this. I can tell you that when we had our classified briefing, one of the things that was clear is among Congress is there there's overwhelming support for Israel. I know this administration, from the reports we were receiving, are are absolutely deploying as rapidly as they can in all of these areas. Um, I, and I think certainly you heard the, the the president say, you know, I can't tell you everything I'm doing because we're we're in the the actual conflict as it's unfolding. But I I think certainly the administration is absolutely committed. Uh, to, uh, to undertaking uh, you know, intervention here.
1: Uh, and Congressman Himes, what's your message to any American uh, who's watching right now who has loved ones missing, who likely are being held uh, as prisoners to this terrorist group in Gaza? Are you confident that that person's government is doing everything they can to bring that captive home?
3: I I am, And, and of course there's probably nothing you can say to a family who has a family member now inside of Gaza in the control of some just murderous terrorists. I'm not sure there's anything that's going to make them feel better. Um, But the United States and Israel share two things that I think are very, very important right now. Number one is a set of values that we do not leave people behind. Uh, We will spare no expense. We will fight any fight to make sure that our people are recovered. We will negotiate. We will do everything that we need to do. The second thing, of course, the United States and Israel share is uh, remarkable competence in such things, and, you know, we'll have an opportunity to dissect. Uh, and do an autopsy on what appears to have been an intelligence failure with respect to the larger operation. Um, but the Americans and the Israelis are about as good as it gets with respect to keeping hostages safe and ultimately recovering them. Chairman Mike Turner,
1: Ranking Member Jim Himes, you know I love the bipartisan appearance. More of it, please. Thank you so much. <laughs>
14: Thank you. Take Thank you. care.
1: Lebanon is just across the border from Israel. The fears that the terror group Hezbollah there could join in on this fight against the Jewish state. Stay with us. And we continue with breaking news on our world lead. Israelis living near the border with Lebanon in the north are on edge. Today, they were sent running for bomb shelters after Israel's military warned of a, quote, suspected infiltration of its airspace from Lebanon. Later, the IDF ruled that out and said the warning sirens were set off in error. CNN's Ben Wiedemann is in Lebanon's capital of Beirut. Ben, how involved are Hezbollah militants at this hour?
8: Uh, They're very involved in what are becoming fairly regular and violent skirmishes on the border between Lebanon and Israel. And today, in fact, Hezbollah put out a video uh, that seemed to show a guided rocket or missile being fired at an Israeli position at troops on an an Israeli position on the border. Now, uh, the Hezbollah claims that uh, it killed and injured several Israeli soldiers. The Israelis have yet to comment on this incident, but certainly so far since Saturday, we know that three Hezbollah fighters have been killed in uh, incidents with the Israelis, whether that's airstrikes, helicopter strikes, mortar or artillery barrages. And the Israelis acknowledge that three of their troops have been killed as well. And also, we know in addition to Hezbollah being involved, for instance, Palestinian Islamic Jihad's troops or militants here in Lebanon claim to have launched a cross border attack as well uh, earlier this week. Now, but Hezbollah, it seems, wants to do enough to show that it's sort of part of the theater at the moment in terms of the war in Gaza without going so far as to cause a full-out war between Israel and Lebanon, or more particular, Israel and Hezbollah, Jake?
1: All right, Ben Wiedemann live for us in Beirut. Thank you so much. Stay safe. One of our CNN anchors went to the town of Ashkelon today that's been hit repeatedly by strikes since Saturday's initial terrorist attack, and she joins me
15: next. From executive producers Park chan and Robert Downey Jr., The Sympathizer is the new HBO original limited series based on the Pulitzer Prize-winning novel of the same name. Join me, Philip Nguyen, a scholar of Vietnamese-American culture, and the cast and crew as we discuss the making of this historic series. Subscribe now to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts and stream HBO's The Sympathizer starting April 14th exclusively on Max.
0: This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome
1: to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We start in the Middle East with new stories of the horror, the terror that Hamas inflicted on Israelis. Some of what I'm about to describe to you will assuredly be disturbing. A spokesman for the Israeli prime minister said today that Hamas decapitated babies and toddlers... This was part of a brutal massacre that Hamas carried out in Kfar Aza over the weekend. I should note that as of now, CNN has not been able to independently verify the claims. The Israeli defense forces said Hamas, quote, brutally butchered in an ISIS way of action, quote, unquote, women, children, toddlers, and the elderly. This comes as some Israelis are also expressing a sense of frustration that their their government is not doing enough. And here you can see an individual at a hospital yelling at Israel's environment minister, yelling at her, telling her that she is responsible, she should go home. Eventually the crowd forced her to leave the building. As Israel and its military continue to pound Gaza with rockets, Gaza which is ruled by Hamas, a humanitarian crisis is quickly unfolding in Gaza, hundreds of thousands are now displaced, cut off from food and electricity. Gaza's only power station has stopped working, a reminder that Hamas, which the U.S. and the EU categorize as a terrorist organization, Hamas embeds itself within the populace of Gaza. This war has now been raging for five days, and the death toll continues to climb. More than 1,200 have died in Israel. Another 1,100 are dead in Gaza. And at least 22 Americans have been killed in the attacks. All of these numbers are expected to rise. Let's go to CNN's Aaron Burnett, who's in Tel Aviv, Israel. And Aaron, you visited Ashkelon this morning. It's just a few miles from the the border with Gaza. It's a city that has been pummeled by Hamas rockets. How extensive is the damage that you've seen?
16: So, you know, Jake, this is a situation where the city is really under at least what we experienced today. It was pretty pretty much nonstop uh, in terms of incoming rockets. You would hear, obviously, Israeli uh, bombs in Gaza. We would see the smoke. Uh, you could smell it, that acrid, oily smell of war. And uh, then there would be the incoming uh, response out of out of Gaza and uh, you know look obviously the, the Iron Dome as you know Jake intercepts most of them but it is the randomness that strikes you uh you saw when they did break through or only partially were taken down by the Iron Dome uh we went to one place we found it we talked to some locals found where to go an apartment building where people had just been inside uh when we got there it was still smoking that horrible smell uh and fire uh was going on and then as we were there Sirens go off again. Of course, we go take cover. Even first responders were running to take cover. Actually, Jake, literally in this case, running into the bottom of uh, a burning building uh, to to try to take shelter. Uh, And that's that's what they're dealing with in Ashkelon. Most businesses uh, were closed, roads very quiet, but yet, as you know, people still in some ways going about their normal life. Uh, And that's the juxtaposition that you're seeing. But the Iron Dome, Jake, is what is transforming this. We came to Ashkelon uh, from actually a location a, a little bit south, about three miles from the Gaza border where Israeli forces were massing, we saw there, Jake, uh, um, armored troop carriers. We saw buses of Israeli troops coming and unloading. We saw about 15 bulldozers, uh, obviously uh, an ominous sign ahead of a possible assault on Gaza. All of that where the Israeli troops were gathering. And at one point when we were there, Jake, there were about you know over the over the space of I, I guess I would say 20 to 30 minutes, maybe 60 rockets that came in, literally lighting up that 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 dome above us. Uh, as you could see them coming in. So it's incredibly active, and it is very clear from what we saw that when we talk about these numbers and you talk about all these Israeli forces gathering on the border, they are doing that, and they are there, and they are ready, and they are doing it in plain sight, Jake.
1: Erin Burnett, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Please stay safe. I want to go now to CNN's Nick Robertson in Sderot, which is in southern Israel, just a few miles from the Gaza border. Nick, you've been reporting all day uh, that you're seeing an increased tempo where you are, uh, more c- explosions more rockets, more troops. Tell us what's happening this evening.
4: Yeah, and we've seen tank fire as well this evening, Jake. We haven't seen that so far. We know that tanks are down there behind us on that hill of the land that slopes away from here down towards the fence with Gaza, about two miles away. We've heard them maneuvering. We heard them firing tonight. but. We've also heard something close to here that we really haven't heard with such intensity since we've been here, and that was heavy machine gun fire coming from the hill just over there. It was coming from a small community about a mile and a half away where the Israeli Defense Force found and cornered and neutralized in their parlance, uh, three Hamas militants who'd been holding out somewhere in the area. But that gun battle, that exchange of gunfire, heavy machine gunfire went on, I would say for a good 10, 15 minutes. Um, there were flares put up towards the end of the battle, I guess, so the troops could see what they were doing, get a better visibility on the enemy. Um, and the Israeli defense force is very quickly announcing three Hamas operatives. Um, Uh, killed in that location. Uh, This has been the concern that there'll be more of them around. That's why I think we're seeing these high level of foot patrols in this town. But this evening as well, unlike last night, Storot getting a lot of artillery coming out of Gaza, a lot of intercepts going on here from the Iron Dome. They only have a few seconds to do it because Storot's so close. Uh, And a lot of, earlier on in the evening, we were hearing a lot of heavy artillery fire, huge explosions in Gaza but in the tempo of this war, it's taken a downbeat in the past hour or so, and it's relatively quiet.
1: All right, Nick Robertson, thanks so much. Let's bring in Lieutenant Colonel uh, Jonathan Conricus uh, of the Israeli Defense Forces. Um, thanks so much for joining us. The U.S. Um, has specific intelligence suggesting that senior Iranian government officials were caught off guard, surprised by Saturday's uh, attack by Hamas. Now, this does not mean that Iran couldn't have been involved in some way. We know that Iran funds Hamas. Uh, but it could cast doubt on the idea that they were directly aware and involved in the planning and plotting. That's according to f- sources familiar with US intelligence. Uh, what What do you make of that? That does seem to contradict what, what Israeli sources are saying.
17: So, yeah, good evening. Thank you for having me here. Uh, I suppose you're referring to the New York Times rebuttal to the Wall Street Journal. Um, for, from my perspective, what we're looking at, what we are seeing at our level of detail, is Iranian hands everywhere, Iranian fingerprints everywhere. Um, And whether or not, and this, I don't have finite Israeli intelligence that I can declassify and say yes or no, whether or not the Iranians had their hands on the, the button and unleashed this horrible, atrocious attack against Israel knowingly, or whether they were just indirectly responsible for it by providing the weapons, money, military training, political guidance, and know-how to Hamas uh, is a little bit less relevant. It is important if they were directly involved. That definitely escalates the situation. But from our point of view, Iran is the source of all evil around us in the Middle East. They are the ones who are building and providing for all of our enemies. There is not a single enemy today of the state of Israel that isn't on the Iranian payroll, that doesn't rely on Iranian weapons, know-how, equipment, and political guidance.
1: Today, a senior Israeli official uh, told CNN that Israel and Egypt uh, may begin allowing U.S. citizens and some Palestinian civilians uh, to leave Gaza via the Rafah border crossing uh, in the south. Power is now obviously out in Gaza uh, lots of uh, properties are being destroyed as we speak. There are obviously uh, many civilians who have been killed uh, in the bombing campaign. Uh, time is of the essence. How soon will this exit for innocent people be available?
17: I uh, definitely understand the uh, urgency here. Uh, it is not something that we in the IDF are part of. Is, this is, uh, I think, discussed by uh, the higher echelon's minister of foreign affairs prime minister and etc with their counterparts i can say that we understand the situation i want to emphasize again i've said it before and i want to say it again the civilians in gaza are not our enemy and they are not the target of our operations and when there's footage showing so-called civilian buildings being reduced to rubble it's important to understand that based on our intelligence those so-called civilian buildings were used by Hamas for military purposes. There's no uh, indiscriminate attacks of buildings. Well, in sir, Gaza with, with, all we respect, with, with all due respect, with
1: all due respect, and look, what happened Saturday is absolutely horrifying. But with all due respect, how good is your intelligence in Gaza anymore?
17: Fair question. Definitely fair question. And believe me, I have thought about it myself many, many times in the past days as uh, this unfolds. There are definitely tough questions to answer about the quality and the timeliness of uh, our intelligence. I can say that there are different types of intelligence. It's one thing to be able to eavesdrop on your enemy and to foresee or predict his activities, and it's another type of intelligence to be able to track movements and identify military targets. The latter, I think, is still very much intact and i've seen personally many types of targets that we have the resolution of uh, the intelligence as in whose house it is which uh, hamas commander uses the facility or what the officers in a certain building are used by hamas for and i can tell you that the intelligence is solid and it is uh, focused and that we are striking targets that are directly related to hamas and not targets that don't have anything to do with their military capability. You're
1: not really saying that every single missile that hits within Gaza, and I don't even know how many have hit since Saturday. And again, look, I understand the desire and the need uh, to go after the Hamas threat. I'm not questioning that, but you can't really be arguing that every single missile is hitting a Hamas target.
17: Every single missile is intended for a Hamas target. There is definitely, clearly, like in any campaign or in any bombardment in dense urban terrain, there is collateral damage. Yes, that is clear, and that is the, the unfortunately, unfortunately, part and parcel of combat in urban terrain. And again, it is also part of how Hamas has structured its deployment in Gaza. They is rely the, on the civilian. Is the
1: that. end game here the elimination? of Hamas totally? Is that the end game? And if so, what comes after that?
17: Those are questions that I think will be answered a little bit ahead of time. uh, And uh, I don't have answers for them now. What I can say is that our military aim are the military capabilities of Hamas. That is what we are targeting at this time.
1: Lieutenant Colonel Jonathan Conricus, thanks for being with us. Appreciate it. Thank you. Up next, our other major story. We're going to go live to Capitol Hill where House Republicans met behind closed doors today and nominated Congressman Steve Scalise to be the next House Speaker. The problem, he does not have 217 votes to actually become the next House Speaker. So what happens next? I'm going to talk to a House Republican about what happens next and whether or not we're ever going to have a House Speaker. Stay with us. We have much more ahead from the Middle East, but right now we're switching to another major breaking story in our politics lead because we do not have a functioning legislative branch of the government here in the U.S. after a long contentious day on Capitol Hill. Republicans have kind of settled on Representative Steve Scalise as Louisiana as their candidate for Speaker of the House. Sort of. Let's quickly get an update from CNN's Manu Raju. Manu, um, so a majority of the conference picked Steve Scalise to be their nominee, but it doesn't look like there are 217 votes to actually make him their speaker.
15: Yeah, that's right. In fact, Steve Scalise is far short of the votes he needs to be elected Speaker. He was nominated by a majority of the conference. He needed to surpass the 111 vote threshold. He got 113 votes. But in order to get elected to the House, you need 217 votes. And we are told that he is more than a dozen short votes short at the moment. And right now he is meeting, be in his office with members individually trying to assuage their concerns. But leaving those meetings, a number of those members are indicating they have concerns, everything ranging from his His views to his positions on some key issues, the fact that he's been in the leadership, as well as one member raising concerns about his health. Because Steve Scalise now battling blood cancer, though he's treatable and says he's on the mend. There's some concerns about that in the ranks as well.
6: I'm not supporting Steve Scalise. I'll be voting for Jim Jordan. And why is that? Well, uh, Jim Jordan presented a strong plan for us, a detailed plan on how to move forward. We didn't hear that plan from Steve Scalise. It was, it was more vague answers. Um, but there's another situation that's very personal to me. You know, I lost my father in 2021 to cancer. And unfortunately, Steve is going through a a, cancel, a cancer battle of his own. And, you know, I like Steve Scalise a lot, and I like him so much. I would like to see him put his full efforts into defeating that. I'm
9: concerned he doesn't have the votes to get to 218, and so we should probably resolve that before we go to the floor.
15: Now, Thomas Massey left Scalise's office and said that Scalise was down about 20 votes at least. Even though both Massey and uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene voted for Jim Jordan behind closed doors, they still plan to lease Ma- Marjorie Taylor Greene says she'll still vote for Jordan on the floor when that vote comes, unclear when that vote will happen, Jake, but Jordan plans to vote for Scalise and will nominate him for speaker, encouraging his supporters to do so as well. The question is, will they actually listen to him? At the moment, some of them are not.
1: All right, Manu Raju, uh, thanks so much. With with us now, South Carolina Republican Congresswoman uh, Nancy Mace, um, you endorsed uh, Jim Jordan, so I'm assuming you voted for Jim Jordan today. If the vote for speaker were today, would you vote for Steve Scalise?
18: I would not. I plan on voting for Jim Jordan on the floor. Um, I've been very vocal about this over the last couple of days. I personally cannot in good conscience vote for someone who attended a white supremacist conference and compared himself to David Duke. I would be doing an enormous disservice to the voters that I represent in South Carolina if I were to do that.
1: So this is a, a reference to in 2002, Scalise spoke before an extremist group founded by David Duke, called the European American Unity and Rights Organization. In 2015, when this was first reported, Scalise said it was a, quote, group whose views I wholeheartedly condemn. Uh, It was a mistake I regret, and I emphatically oppose the divisive uh, racial and religious views groups like these hold, unquote. Uh, Is this the main reason why other Republicans are concerned about Scalise? I can't believe that Marjorie Taylor Greene would be upset about this
18: well she mentioned his health as a reason that she was not supporting him there are others that don't understand what the path is moving forward on spending bills or a continuing resolution. There are others with me that have that represent districts that would not support someone who attended those kinds of events in the past. And so you know also as a woman I have grave concerns as a woman in balancing the the you know protecting life and protecting women's rights. And so we were supposed to have this vote today at 3 p.m on the floor. That vote has not happened because he does not have the votes. It's the number that I'm seeing is far higher than 12 will not be voting for him on the first round. But if we're going to have this, the American people want us to get back to work. Let's have this debate on the floor. Let's move forward. Let's find someone who can bring us all together and let's get back to work. We have a very divided world right now. When I see what's happening in Israel, Um, we want someone, I want someone who's going to be a leader and bring our country together.
1: Um, Do you think Jim Jordan is the guy to keep the country together? I mean, Congresswoman Liz Cheney has made it pretty clear that she thinks that he was one of the the main plotters to uh, undo the election and push Vice President Pence to try to flip the electoral uh, vote. And Adam Kinzinger said the same. Is he really the unity candidate you're
18: suggesting? Well, I am someone who voted to certify the Electoral College every vote that night on January 6th. And I was a very vocal uh, person who was a- opposed to what happened on January 6th. We're not going to agree on everything. Certainly with any speaker, that's what this is about. We need to find someone who can bring us together. And if it's not Jim Jordan, then you know who else will it be? And I think there are some other names being tossed around, but my vote will go to him, at least on the first round on the floor.
1: You were asked about the charges uh, and the allegations, I should say, uh, being made about Congressman Jordan uh, when he was an assistant wrestling coach, I believe, at Ohio State University. Uh, this was Sunday, and you said you didn't know anything about it. I assume you've read up have, on it. I
18: have since learned yeah. a, a little bit more. And again, I mean, this is, these, these were, uh, I guess, adults. This, this is something that should have been adjudicated in a court of law. I don't know that it has been. Um, and again, we can't make decisions based on rumors. We should make them based on facts. I do want to move our country forward. I want a leader that we can trust and who's going to work hard for the American people and can bring, even in some cases, both sides together on different issues.
1: Yeah, I mean, I'll just suggest that there are grown men who today are saying Jim Jordan knew about this uh, doctor who was molesting them and he's a liar and he, he, he shouldn't be speaker. But moving on. I mean, has but,
18: that been adjudicated in a court of law would be my next question. I mean, where is that? So, i just saying they're yeah. saying
1: they're saying it on the record. But beyond that, moving on. Who are some of the consensus candidates if it goes to a third round, fourth round, fifth round? Uh, I've heard Congressman Patrick McHenry's name out there. I've heard uh, Tom Cole or Tom Emmer. Who are some of the other possible uh, individuals who you think maybe could get to 217?
18: Well, I think Jim Jordan is not out of the mix. I've talked to a lot of people who still support him. I've actually talked to Democrats who who trust him at his word. I I don't think that's out of the realm of possibility. Jim Jordan? Yes, I've talked to Democrats over the last week on who do they trust, even though they wouldn't agree with him on many issues. He is someone the Jim can- Jordan from Ohio. Oh yes, the Jim Jordan from Ohio. Democrats I to people- in Congress. Yes, they can work with him and those that Name one democrat
1: from Congress that trusts Jim Jordan.
18: people off the record. They trust him more than they trust the former speaker. In my private conversations with Democrats, I will say that. Um, I will also say that other names that I've heard are Patrick Henry like you said and also Tom Cole. Really what people want is someone that they can trust and who will be true to their word at the end of the day.
1: Okay. I'm not sure I'm buying the thing about Democrats trusting <laughs> I, I Jim Jordan. I talked to but, people
18: on both sides, though, all the time, Oh, I Jake. believe
1: that. I believe that. I just don't know how much I believe the thing about Democrats trusting Jim Jordan. I'm but, not
18: saying they're going to vote for him. I'm saying they trust him more than they trust the former speaker.
1: Well, that's not really a high bar now, is it?
18: <laughs> not at all.
1: Congresswoman Nancy Mesa, South Carolina, always good to have you on. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you. Back to Israel next, where reservists are being called up to join the fight. What these citizens turning to soldiers mean... For the battles ahead, we're on the ground with them next. We are back with our breaking news coverage, and you're looking at video from earlier today of Israeli tanks and troops gathering in southern Israel. More than 300,000 Israeli reservists have been called up as the country prepares for a possible ground Operation in response to the surprise terrorist attack by Hamas on Saturday. Remember, Israel has conscription. CNN's Jeremy Diamond is on the ground in Ashdod and has this report on one of the largest mobilizations in the history of Israel.
9: At a military base in southern Israel, columns of Israeli Merkava 4 tanks stand at the ready, awaiting orders for an invasion of Gaza that everyone expects, but no one has yet commanded. This is a country on a war footing. The Israeli military has called up more than 300,000 reservists. It is one of the largest mobilization efforts in this country's history. And this right here behind me is that mobilization effort in action. You are witnessing thousands of reservists, Israelis from all across the country, coming to this military base in southern Israel to begin to prepare for the next phase of this military campaign. But it's not just the scale that makes this mobilization different. I've been in all the
19: campaigns in the last thirty years. Never, la- never something like this.
9: For the soldiers converging on this base, the shocking brutality of Hamas's surprise terrorist attacks is still reverberating.
15: Every person, Israel. There's not someone. Every person. Been in Amsterdam till till Wednesday morning. Uh, till. Uh, Uh, Monday morning, I came here, you know, to enlist to the army and to fight those bastards. It's a very emotional moment.
11: A very emotional moment, yes. When you see children die and keep it's it's like an animal. It's not...
9: Driving down roads east of the Gaza Strip, preparations for the next phase of Israel's military campaign are everywhere. Trucks loaded with ammunition, armored vehicles thousands of Israeli soldiers mobilizing, and just seven miles from the Gaza border, this formation of armored personnel carriers. We are about a dozen kilometers from the Gaza border, about six or seven miles, and what we are seeing here are the preparations for what many people in Israel believe is going to happen next, and that is the possibility of a ground invasion. You can see here uh, armored personnel carriers, perhaps nearly two dozen of those, as well as trucks, uh, and you see soldiers all here uh, preparing for the next phase of this war. But amid the preparations for tomorrow's battle, today's is still very much alive. And Jake, just to put that number of 300,000 reservists being called up into context, that is. 4% of Israel's population but perhaps what is more startling is that that number is nearly equal to the number of total forces in the US's military reserves. That number is 331,000 and when you consider the fact that the US population is 34 times larger it really helps you understand the scale of this mobilization effort uh, here in Israel. Now the question is what happens next? We simply do not know yet but all of the soldiers we spoke to today, all of those reservists They all seem to believe that they are likely going into Gaza. But so far, the Israeli prime minister and his new emergency
1: government have yet to actually announce or make that decision. Jake. All right, Jeremy Diamond, thank you so much. Appreciate it. As we look again at Gaza and the calm sky, at least for this precise moment, why did this attack on Israel, why did it happen now? Why Hamas? Who's funding Hamas? We'll try to make some sense of the intelligence coming in so far. That's next. And we're back, CNN reporting that U.S. intelligence believes that senior Iranian officials were caught by surprise by Hamas's ruthless terrorist attack on Israeli citizens Saturday. Some U.S. officials and lawmakers remain convinced, however, that Iran had more of a direct role, that is the conclusion at least of Israeli leaders. Either way, this part is crystal clear. For years, the Iranian regime has been the chief sponsor of Hamas, providing weapons and technological and ideological support and a significant, significant amount of cash. In 2022, Hamas's leader publicly said that Hamas, classified as a terrorist organization by the U.S. and the EU, received $70 million from Iran and used the money to build rockets. And in 2020, a U.S. State Department report found Iran gave about $100 million annually to Palestinian terrorist groups, including Hamas. CNN's chief national security correspondent, Alex Marquardt, and CNN national security analyst, Beth Sanner, join us now. Uh, Beth, walk us through the uh, Hamas-Iranian regime relationship. Have they gotten closer in the last few years, or has it always just been like a a uh, client-state relationship?
20: Well, they've definitely gotten closer um, over time. I mean, we have to remember that Hamas, a Sunni group, came out of the Muslim Brotherhood, you know long time ago. That's what's um, weird about it
1: is that it's a she- yes, and sunni yeah, relationship. Right. And
20: so that's partly why there is somewhat of a different relationship between them and, and Lebanon's Hezbollah. Hezbollah is like the child of Iran. They literally like birthed and raised Hezbollah and they have this symbiotic relationship. Whereas Hamas and, and Iran are very close and all the things you said in the intro could not agree more. Iran is Hamas's patron but they probably don't have operational control. Hmm. And so, you know, I think these, these, these things are very nuanced, though. So what do we mean by direct support? Yeah. And that these are definitional things that are going to be driven by politics and emotion.
1: Alex, uh, the Biden administration officials have been focusing on whether Iran- the Iranian regime had direct involvement. It's clear Hamas would not exist right now without the support of the Iranian regime. And obviously the White House is worried about this escalating and involving Iran and the the Iranian regime in a more direct way. Uh, There's almost an incentive built in to not want to bring the Iranian regime in, in the same way you could say the opposite is true for Israel.
13: I, I think Israel, to some extent, could also be worried about bringing in Iran and expanding the, sure. this, this conflict. They've got a lot on their hands right now when it comes to just Hamas. And you're absolutely right that Hamas uh, would be a shadow of what it is right now were it not for this years and years and millions and millions of dollars of funding. But, Jake, there's a huge difference between being broadly complicit in this attack, as the administration has said Iran is, and having a, a direct role in it. If they had a direct role, that would beg that would raise the question of, so what do you do in response? What's the retaliation? Um, Iran, uh, Israel could then reach out and strike uh, Iran. Um, then there would be questions raised about whether the U.S. gets involved. And, and this conflict could expand exponentially very quickly. It wouldn't just be about Hamas, the proxy in Gaza. It would be about all the Iranian proxies uh, all across the region, whether it's the Houthis in Yemen, uh, Hezbollah to the north in Lebanon, groups in, in, uh, Iran, in Iraq, Syria, and, and Bahrain. Um, And so that's why this question of Iran's direct role or not is so important. Huge implications. And
20: remember, we have 900 troops still in Syria. Right. On the dime.
1: And Beth, take a look at the map. There's been fighting on Israel's border with Lebanon. uh, And an eyewitness tells CNN they saw rockets fired from Syria into Israel. How likely is it uh, that Hamas uh, set off intentionally or unintentionally, but I'm sure it would be intentionally, uh, a wider regional war. where There was a Hamas political uh, leader uh, on, a, on an Arab-speaking channel talking about how this was coordinated uh, to be a, a wider regional war yeah. with operatives yeah. uh, in Syria, in uh, Lebanon, and elsewhere.
20: So, look, we know that they were talking beforehand, that they were coordinating, and that Iran, Hezbollah, Pidge the Islamic Jihad and Hamas were all at these meetings, at least starting in April. So we know that they were, were talking about attacking Iran. So there's some sense that there is a coordination. Attacking Israel. Israel. but Sorry. Yeah. But how far um, does it make sense for Hezbollah to go and for Iran to go now? So the real question is, you know, do these countries, as you say, want to be in a direct conflict, not just with Israel, with the United States? We have said that we put that carrier there and we've warned them directly, indirectly, saying, if you strike, we are going to retaliate. Don't do that. Yeah, the message from
1: Secretary Blinken to Iran to others is Mm -hmm. don't. Now
13: is not the moment. Now
20: is not the moment. But I would say that, like, okay, I don't think that what's happening today is about a direct, you know, like they're not going to start today if they're going to enter the war. They're going to wait for a ground incursion. Um, they're going to wait. Are you uh, Hezbollah. About, you know. Whether Hezbollah enters the war or not is the big question, whether this can be contained or not. And so that is going to depend a lot on what Israeli actions are over the next.
1: Week. Do they really They'll, think that they can wipe Israel off the map? I mean, is that really the goal here? Well,
13: it, it certainly is a stated goal, both by uh, Hamas, Hezbollah and, and, Hamas and, yeah. and by Hezbollah. And, and, and Beth is absolutely right. But at the same time, there is certainly a need that Hezbollah feels to show that they are doing something. They can't just sit back and do mm-hmm. nothing, even if there is a sense—and there is a sense, Jake—from both American and, 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 and foreign sources who we speak with, um, who analyze Hezbollah that they don't necessarily want to get involved in a full-scale war. We have seen a flurry of activity. On that northern border, we've seen Hezbollah militants who have been killed by Israel. We've been, seen Israeli air raids. We've seen um, a, a, a growing presence and warnings uh, mm-hmm. in the north. But there have been these overt and, and more covert uh, signals to Hezbollah, do not get involved. Um, We know that the U.S. has reached out to the Lebanese government. We know that the French have reached out to Hezbollah. But as Beth says, if there is an Israeli incursion, then there certainly could be uh, uh, Hezbollah stepping it up.
1: All right. CNN's Alex Marquardt and Beth Sander, thanks to both of you. What faith leaders are telling people, especially those waiting for word of their loved ones who are still missing? I'm going to talk to a rabbi who was inside a synagogue in Israel when Saturday's attack began. (laughs) This was the scene over Gaza just a few minutes ago. Israel has stepped up uh, its attacks on what it says are Hamas targets in Gaza. We should note there are also obviously civilians in the Gaza Strip. Uh, Hamas, uh, the IDF says, embeds within the civilian uh, civilians in that Gaza Strip. Uh, the White House says efforts are underway to try to get a... Uh, escape mechanism for those civilians, both Americans and Palestinians, so they can leave Gaza. My next guest uh, was in a synagogue in Israel when the terrorist attack started on Saturday, on the Sabbath. He's a rabbi who has been supported families who are fearing and hearing the worst. Rabbi Michael Miller, uh, thank you so much uh, for joining us. First of all, how are you and your family uh, doing as everybody accounted for?
19: Thank you very much, Jay. Thanks for having me on the show. The answer is we're uh, holding on. Um, It's a very tense and and somber mood right now. And uh, we do have with all of our family members are accounted for. But we we do have uh, nephews and a niece who are in the Israel Defense Forces who are in the IDF uh, and uh, grandnephew grandniece. So we're we're, uh, tense, um, but hopeful, very, very hopeful.
1: Today, um, you witnessed uh, folks lining the streets uh, as the family of a soldier who was killed um, took his body to be buried. Tell us about that.
19: Yes, uh, in our neighborhood, uh, tragically, one of uh, the numerous Israeli soldiers who were killed on Saturday's attack uh, was laid to rest. Um, He was killed on Saturday. They couldn't bury him until uh, today wednesday uh, which as you know in jewish law um, we are buried as quickly as possible once we uh, leave this uh, physical world Um, but that couldn't take place because there are so many burials that are going on in the country now and the residents of the neighborhood all wanted to line the streets holding israeli flags and giving strength to the family as they were taking their, their son uh, to the cemetery to to be laid laid to rest uh, and there was also a, a vigil of teenagers that took place The other night of uh, singing together and holding on to each other uh, This this was a very very moving experience uh, for me as, as a rabbi of course I've um, conducted many funerals, but I uh, a seeing an Israeli young Israeli soldier only 21 years old um, uh, Roe Wiser, Weiser being laid to rest was very very moving and uh, I, I kind of put so much into perspective the, these
1: attacks took place um, not only in the 50th anniversary of the Yom Kippur war which was also a sneak attack uh, on Israel but they they took uh, place um, on the Shabbat or the Sabbath, uh, also on a Jewish holiday. Uh, yes. and, and Saturday was the deadliest day for the Jewish people since the Holocaust. Um, I don't know if you knew that that day or you knew it a day or two later. Did you have services no. Saturday morning? What, what was Saturday like?
19: Uh, Saturday was disjointed. Um, I went to services as I always do. The services began at 8 o'clock in the morning. Um, and it's about a a 10-minute walk or so. Uh, We don't drive on on Shabbat so and the holiday. I I walked to to the synagogue, and um, the president of the synagogue made an announcement that there were uh, sirens uh, in the south and in in Jerusalem, and just let us know where the shelters were. Um, And it didn't take very long, uh, maybe 25 minutes uh, before a siren went off. Um, and we all rushed uh, to the shelters. Actually, I never made it into a shelter. There I, I, uh, wasn't room for me. I was in a stairwell. Uh, then we went back at 10 minutes, all clear. We went back into the services. And very shortly afterwards, a, a, a second uh, siren went off. And this time I was able to get into a shelter. Uh, somebody from the local uh, security team uh, came and, and told us on all, all Hebrew, that um, the, the danger was, was at a high level and the rabbi decided that he was going to, to suspend services. Uh, the most dangerous part of the day for me was that 10 minute walk uh, back to, to my apartment uh, where I was just uh, utterly exposed. And when I got back to the apartment, ultimately there was a, a third siren. Um, and thank God we have a safe room here and we went into the safe room. But that was the day just waiting, and you become very sensitive, Jake, to sound. Um, And when you heard booms, uh, you knew that the Iron Dome was at work, and shortly after that, the siren goes off, Um, and we're we're attentive to that at all times.
1: I only have about 40 seconds before I have to give the show to Wolf, Um, so forgive me because this next question is a tough one, but how on earth do you console people? during this time when we hear these horrible stories about what these terrorists did to babies and the kidnapped people and the, the, the kids who were dancing and are now dead. I mean, how, what on earth do you, do you say to these families?
19: Yes, um, there really is nothing that can be said. There is something that I learned when I was a chaplain in the United States Army. Uh, it's called the Ministry of Presence, of just being there. Uh, putting an arm on them, a hand on them, just uh, being in their in their space, uh, just showing love, um, because the pictures that we've seen of, of the atrocities are unspeakable. Uh, they're chilling, they're sickening, they're repugnant. Uh, a- a- any word that you can use, that, that's a synonym of any of those words. Um, so what can you say? What can you say to someone Whose loved one was taken captive, was taken hostage uh, in into into Gaza. Um, we we would like to be, we like to believe that Israel and the Israel Defense Forces will do everything that they can uh, to retrieve those individuals or the ones who were killed. We just mm-hmm. have to continue to shower all these uh, loved ones with with yeah. our love.
1: Yeah. Rabbi Michael Miller, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time. Thank you, Jake. We'll be right back.
12: Wolf Blitzer is next in The Situation Room. See you tomorrow. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together.